We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 this morning. So last week we had the Hubbles with us. I thought they did a great job just talking about um, Ukraine. Ukraine's been kind of goes in and out of the news, you know, the war that's happening there. Sometimes it's there and sometimes we get focused on what's happening in our nation, like shooting down balloons and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think uh, just the ne- we need to pray for Ukraine. We need to pray for the believers there. Uh, and the work that God is doing there. There's missions, organizations that are doing their their work over there. Um, and so uh, you can p- keep them in our prayers, all right? Um, all right, so we had them, and then we d- did a message in Hebrews two weeks ago uh, talking about moving forward, even in times of discouragement and difficulties. Those are on Facebook. But uh, one of the better ways maybe to look at it is just go to YouTube, YouTube and do a search for Radiant Springs Church. You can subscribe to that, and you can see all the messages. Uh, If you go to radiantsprings.com, you can also see them all listed there as well. So, But in the fall, we started in a series in the book of Acts, and then we got up to Thanksgiving, and then after Thanksgiving, we switched into Advent. And so I wanted to get back into the book of Acts, and so we're in Acts chapter 6. In the book of Acts... You know, the first two chapters, the first chapter, Jesus gives final messages to uh, the believers saying, hey, wait for the gift that I've promised. Acts chapter 2 is when God gives the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the beginning of the early church, all right? 3,000 are saved that day. It was kind of a hostile crowd, uh, but God worked in their lives. Chapter 3 is a pretty pivotal chapter. A, A man that's been crippled all of his life is healed. Uh, in a very dramatic fashion, everybody knew this guy. It was right out in the public and in the open, and he's healed. He immediately is healed. He gets up and leaps, jumps, and praises God, right? And he's pretty excited. So, um, And so that, you know, everybody should be happy. The city was in a stir about that. They are posting it on Facebook, right? It was everywhere. Um, but there was quite an uproar. But the religious leaders were not really excited about that, right? Because they had crucified, they'd been part of crucifying Jesus, and now these, um, the early church was talking about Jesus and healing in the name of Jesus, and so that did not look good for them. All right, and so they even bring the apostles in, they flog them, they tell them not to talk anymore in the name of Jesus. So we covered all that. We even talked about generosity and and Ananias and Sapphira. Boy, that's just kind of a story right there, right? You know, they lie and. It's like <laughs> God is full of grace and compassion, but in this situation, we see God's holiness come through, and it's kind of like, boom, carry him out, right? All right, and uh, so don't lie, all right? Um, and then you have the apostles persecuted, and then you have the choosing of the seven. So Acts chapter 6, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. And uh, just it's a great story into the life of the early church, and as the church began to grow, there was also problems, all right? We call them growing pains sometimes. So if you're, if you're a teenager, I remember in eighth grade and playing basketball, and I was just growing, you know, at this great speed, and my knees got so sore, and I was going out for basketball, I could barely go upstairs. And I grew through it, right? You grow into it, but it's a painful time. But we also have those in a business, in a corporation, and in churches, there's times that you have growing pains, all right? Um, and so the early church was experiencing that. But I think there's a lot we can learn just as how they navigated this time uh, in the church's history. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living word of God that speaks to us today. 
We just pray that you give us open hearts and ears to hear um, what you are saying to your church and to your people. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 6, it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. The number of disciples were increasing. You know, usually that word disciples in the Gospels specifically was used in reference to who? The twelve, right? The disciples. Now, we know that there were other disciples that uh, followed, but then there was the twelve, right? And so usually it uses in reference to that. But here, this is the first time that Luke, Luke the author of Acts, would include this word disciples in referring to the believers that were following Christ. And so we see this, that the apostles were following in the pattern of Jesus of discipling people. We see that. We covered that in in Acts um, uh, chapter 4. The end of chapter 4 is where they would meet in homes and they studied God's word. They would pray together. They would eat together. Um, and so they had that fellowship, and that's where the discipleship was taking place. And so that is continuing to happen, and the number of disciples was increasing. And that's important, I think. Sometimes when we look at the church, we can look at people that have committed their life to Christ. And so, um, you know, Billy Graham started that evangelical, uh, the altar call, right? And that's very deep within our tradition, that altar call. And that's important of making that decision for Christ, but that discipleship process is just as important. If people make that decision for Christ but never walk it out in the days that follow, then uh, sometimes we're almost doing an injustice. And so that discipleship process is so important. So that's why um, the Wednesday night, our Wednesday night program is so important for the young children and the youth, right? That's why our small groups for the adults are so important because that's where we dig into God's Word. We discuss the truths that are in God's Word, apply them, and kind of hash that out a little bit. And discipleship is important. This is definitely part of it as well. But the number of disciples began to increase, right? And so we know 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, and then we see that going to 5,000 and beyond, all right? Um, and so there were some pains that came with that because... Now the systems they had in place were not working, all right? They were not working, and I'll talk more about that. All right, what was the problem? The problem, it says that uh, the Hellenistic Jews among them were complaining against the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the Hellenistic Jews were people that were Greek-speaking, all right? And the Hebrew Jews were the ones that spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, okay? And so most of the people that lived in Jerusalem were probably more the Hebrew, Aramaic-speaking people. But, say, there were Jews outside of Jerusalem that were probably influenced by more of a Greek culture, all right, the Roman culture. And what would happen is if their husband would pass away, these widows would move to Jerusalem in their final stages of life, maybe they, you know, they're getting over 60 and they said, you know what, I'm going to move to Jerusalem. And they had a system in place to provide for these widows during this time. Pretty cool. All right. And so, but these Jews that were settling in Jerusalem from the outside of Jerusalem, a lot of them were Greek speaking, the Hellenistic Jews. So, uh, we, we even know in, in our population here in Crete, sometimes there's a language barrier, right, between English and even in Spanish, right? And uh, 
You know, Victor and Yolanda aren't here this morning. They'll be here later for our Hispanic service. But we, we you know, we've had some, we've had some really good uh, <laughs> misunderstandings because of the language barriers. I'll say, I'll tell him, you know, this, 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 and then he goes, yep, yep, and. You know, they didn't catch it. And sometimes I've been guilty of doing that same thing. They've talked to me and I said, yep, and I didn't totally get it either, all right? Most of the things we've been able to laugh about, some of them were a little more, um, you know, a little more serious, but there's those breakdowns. So when these people were coming in, they were being overlooked. Why were they being overlooked? Was it because they were Greek-speaking? Maybe it was just a language barrier. But these Greek-speaking widows were being neglected or overlooked. And so... Um, they were complaining against the Hebraic Jews that they were being overlooked. In the daily distribution of food, some think this was maybe food or could it actually have been money, kind of like a daily allowance that they were given so that they could buy food to live off of. But it's a pretty cool system. And if you go to Timothy, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but First Timothy chapter 5 keep your finger in the Bible there, but Paul talks about this. That So even during Paul's ministry, so you're going to fast forward probably 20, 30 years, Paul instructs Timothy that in where he's ministering in some of the churches that Paul has started that uh, to minister to the widows, but he says, verse 3 of chapter 5, give proper recognition of the widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice with their own family. In other words, if a widow had family, you know, sons and daughters, the responsibility of caring for that widow would fall to them. And so the church would then take care of those that didn't have any living family, right? Yeah. And, and, and Paul uses some pretty strong ter- terms. He says, if you don't take care of your family, um, you are worse than an unbeliever. You know, that was just very strong terminology. He says that in verse 8. Um, but he says, no one may, verse 9, no one can be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people. In other words, that servant heart, helping those in trouble, devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. And so, it was those people that were, those widows that were supposed to be put on a list, and the church was supposed to assist these people in time of need. Amen? So um, I think there's a, li- we, a little bit of clarity there that they weren't just helping out anybody, but there was a specific group of people that they were ministering to, and just that undertaking alone, I think, was a pretty big undertaking for this early church because I don't get the impression that they had a lot of funds to work with, and yet God provided for them. And so they bring the complaint before them. Verse 2, the 12 gathered all the disciples together, all right, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in in order to wait on tables. All right, and so that word wait on tables is to serve. It's where we get our word deacon, all right? So usually deacons in the church, right, are, are leadership positions, but what we sometimes fail to miss is that idea of that idea of serving that um, with leadership, whether it's a pastor or the other leaders, deacons, board members, that idea of ministry and also serving is crucial to what we see within the model of the early church. All right. And so um, they said, you know what? God has equipped us. Our calling is to disciple, right? That's what they said. If we don't disciple people, then we're going to we're not going to be able to handle the growth of the church and what God is doing. All right? 
and they couldn't clone themselves. We'll talk more about that. So brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. I often wonder why I'd like Luke to kind of put some more details. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? They seemed to know what that meant. And, um, and so, but they were known to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. We'll turn the responsibility over to them and we'll give attention, our attention to prayer and the ministry of God's word. So they're not saying that what they were doing was more important. It's just that if we can't focus on what God has called us to do, then um, the train changed the schedule there. Um, um, then they couldn't do what they were supposed to be doing. All right, They just couldn't do everything all at once. This proposal seemed good to the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, and so Pastor Randy will be talking more about Stephen next week. And then also Philip, Pecorus, Nicanor, uh, Timnon, uh, Parnemius, and Nicholas. All right. Sherry, you're glad I didn't have you read this this morning. And from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests uh, became obedient to the faith. And so they, they navigate through this problem and actually come out stronger on the other end. Isn't that pretty cool? Often problems accomplish uh, quite the opposite. So what can we learn from this? There's a few things I want us to take away from this this morning and as we look at this. First of all, number one is problems open the door for innovation. You know, how many of us like a good problem? Right now, there's a few of you that are, you know, like a math problem. You get into a math problem, and you have to work it out. You know, it's kind of like oh, I don't know if I like that. But sometimes problems come our way, right? And our attitude towards them can really differ. We can say, oh, another problem. It's going to, you know, mess up the status quo. Um, it's going to interrupt us. We don't like problems, right? We don't like people complaining at work, at school. Whatever the, and the more you're in leadership, the, the more that is the case. But problems often open the door to innovation. Um, and so they had a problem. I, I was thinking about Southwest Airlines. So they had a big debacle during Christmas, right? And they're, they're a great airline. Um, they've really grown in popularity over the years, right? But the people, the employees said, hey, our systems are getting out, outdated. We've grown. Our systems no longer can handle um, all the people that we are trying to do. It's, they're getting outdated, and it's not good enough. And they complained, but it wasn't heated, right? And so then all of a sudden we get into Christmas, and thousands of people uh, had their flights canceled due to that. And they even have to go to Congress and explain their, themselves. And I'm sure they'll get through it, and they'll be better on the other side for it, right? But it was a pretty embarrassing moment for them. Problems have the potential to destroy us or make us better. We've known that through COVID, you notice that some restaurants have are coming out of it and they're better and they're doing well. And then there's others that's kind of like, I'm not going back there again. And maybe before COVID, they were they were good, right? But they haven't they haven't been able to navigate through that and and, and adjust to the trying to get employees hired during this season or. Uh, you know, just keeping the quality that is there. So problems have that potential to destroy us or make us better. Um, 
Problems, failures, opportunities can be opportunities for innovation, growth, and improvement. One of our values that uh, we didn't highlight this morning is excellence. That doesn't mean that everything we do is perfect. It's far from it. But it's kind of like, well, we see stuff, and you, then you try to address it, right? And I kind of like the status quo. All right, how many like the status quo? Kind of like, you kind of get things running smoothly. It's kind of like, okay, just hit that pause button and keep it there, right? Right? But you can't do that, whether it's a church, whether it's a business, because culture keeps moving on. Life keeps moving on, and so you have to adjust to those things. And um, that takes effort. It takes hard work to adjust and to change. And often we do not like to change unless the pain gets too, too much, right? The complaint gets too loud, right? Um, things just get too bad, and then we change, right? And so... We can commend the apostles because the complaint came forward. They didn't sweep it under the rug, right? What else could they have done? They could have swept it on the rug. They could have ignored it and said, you know what? You guys go worship some other place. You guys aren't important to us, right? They, they, they could have done several different things. They said that, you know, they could say, hey, this is just the way it is. We're not changing. This is the way we've always done it. Oh, have you heard that one before? Yeah. Instead, they got together, they discussed a solution. I don't know if Jesus had some one-on-one conflict resolution classes on those hillsides. I don't know. I, but they did an excellent job of navigating through this. Um, and so they grew through it. One of the things that we did as a church, we did, you know, we used to do the big Easter egg hunt out in the, at the city park there. It was great, always well attended. The chamber partnered with us for a number of years. Uh, but what was a frustrating thing to us is that we were getting out with a bunch of people. It wasn't really impacting us as far as bringing people into the church and connecting with them that way. In fact, over the years, I, I think one of the only families I can really point to is Jason and Anoneda. And uh, they're sitting in the back row right there. And uh, they attended several years, and I remember having conversations with uh, Jason's mom, actually, and, and uh, but it was th- that would became kind of the connection, and we connected with you guys, and um, yeah. But it, we were frustrated with that. We put a lot of hard work, effort, and time into that, and we weren't seeing a lot of results. So during COVID, that forced us maybe to change a little bit. We reevaluated. We went smaller. We just went to personal invite. Come on Sunday, we're going to do an egg hunt, and um, put a lot of emphasis on the personal invite. And uh, the last two years, we've had a really good attendance, and we've seen families c- we've connected with dur- through those, and um, and so it's been a good thing. And so we're we're already starting to plan for that because that's not that far away, less than two months away. So uh, we're 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 working towards that of how we can lead, love, and connect people to that life-changing relationships with Christ. All right, the apostles acted wisely. Their problem then became a means, and they come out of this that the church. Isn't that what it says? The church grew even more through this problem. Pretty good, huh? Secondly, we see that the church thrives when people serve in the area of giftedness. Um, Yeah, right? That's pretty common sense. But as the church grew, the apostles were being stretched in the area of time. They realized, you know what? They couldn't preach, pray, and, and do all those things, plus also help out with this benevolence ministry of taking care of the widows. You know, they they weren't able to clone themselves, right? 
And, and so they were being stretched. And they said, you know what? If there's anything that we need to be doing, we need to do the, the prayer and the, and the teaching of God's word because we've been equipped to that. Not everybody had been equipped to do that, but they had. They'd been equipped by Jesus himself. And, and so they had to keep that as their main focus. And as a pastor, I, you know, I get stretched in that as well because there's a lot of things that I can do because I, I have a construction background and I've done a lot of things. I can do most of the jobs in the church. Now, I may not, there's some things you probably don't want me doing, all right? So, you know, I can make coffee, but I can guarantee you that, you know, maybe I wouldn't be very happy when I made the coffee, you know. But Karen and them, they do a good job making the coffee. And, and we got people in the sound booth. We have people greeting, you know. There's some people I put there in gr- with greeting, and usually they have to have a good smile, right? All right. Um, there's so many different areas of ministry within the church, but it's finding people and empowering them to do that. So what did they do? They said, they, I love their wisdom. They didn't say, hey, we're going to choose seven people to fill this place. Is that what the apostles did? No, they said, get the people together and say, hey, you guys choose seven people. We're going to give you the guidelines, right? They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be a waiter at a table. Now, I think it was more involved than that. They were distributing the food. And if you've ever done meals and wheels, you ever done meals and wheels, right? Yeah. You've done something like that, or maybe you've been to the People City Mission and helped serve meals there. What you realize is that you're, you're, you're helping people and you're ministering to people, but you're also getting sometimes to pray with people and you visit people and you find out there's needs, so then you're actually praying with people. So I think there was more involved in this. I think there was a lot of administration that was involved in this. Um, but it, they were putting the peop- right people in the right place. But they didn't say, hey, we're going to choose the people. They said, you choose the people. We're going to give you the qualifications, filled with the Holy Spirit, that they have wisdom, all right? And they have good character, okay? Put some people in there that are, have a good reputation and they have, they're people of character. Choose those seven people. And they did a good job of choosing. They took it seriously and they chose seven people. Now, what's interesting is the people that they chose all have Greek names. And so they probably could, probably could speak Greek. And so when they were doing that daily distribution, they could communicate with the widows and make sure that they were getting the help that they needed. I think that's important. That is something that the apostles probably could not do. Now, Paul, Paul knew Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. He knew all those languages because of the, his training and his background. But I don't think a lot of the apostles had uh, that type of knowledge. They had, they've been raised more in a Hebrew culture. So those are probably the languages they knew. So by doing what they did, they were able to minister to these widows in a way that was very culturally relevant to them and was meeting their need. I think it's pretty cool what they did. And, um, and so they chose these. I need to get caught up with my notes here. Uh, they were able to communicate to the widows that they were called to minister to. Um, and the apostles then were able to focus on what they felt God had called them to do. And I, I, and I think as a pastor, you know, we need people that are in the nursery. You don't want me in the nursery. You know, I took care of my kids, but... You know, you don't want me in the nursery with crying kids. You know, no. But but some of you are very, that you love that, you know. And uh, so if you do love that, you need to let Lizzie know, right? Because we got, we got some babies on the horizon. I don't know if you've noticed. You got Aunt Matthew and Anna had Judah, right? And I, Oneda's getting close, right? And Sarah, not too far off. And yeah. And then Andy and Lizzie, September. So we get a little bit of a break. But um, 
So we need some nursery workers, all right? Um, but we need people plugged into these different areas, uh, whether it's preschool, helping out on Wednesday nights, um, making coffee, um, greeting people, uh, worship team. Yeah, we need people in all these different areas. All right? Kitchen, yes, making coffee, yep. You know, Karen and Mary Ellen have been pretty faithful. Yeah, yeah but they, they could use a break every once in a while, right? Yes. So, you know, preparing a message and speaking for me is hard work, but it's one that brings me joy. Now, if I asked some of you to do this, it would, like, freak you out, right? It would, like, just freak you out. and you wouldn't, Some of you wouldn't know where to begin. That's no insult to you. But for me, the first time I spoke in, in chapel and stuff like that in Bible college, it freaked me out. So I was a nervous wreck. Um, still a little nervous every now and then. But I enjoy doing that. But for some of you, this, you know, this wouldn't be your gift and your calling. It's other things. We find our gift and our calling. That's the passion and involvement value. We want to, as a church, identify those gifts and talents and allow you to minister. Because I think the church is stronger for that. It's better for that. And if a church is going to grow, it has to be more than one or two people or a handful of people doing the volunteering and the work. The church grows when people are equipped and released to ministry. Amen? Amen. Number three, anointed ministry will lead influencers to God. It's interesting that Luke puts this in here. So anointed ministry, these people were um, filled with the Holy Spirit to take care of these widows. All right, and it says wait on tables. There again, I think it was more than just being a server at a table. I think it was ministering to these widows as they came through. And if you get over 60, you know, you know, maybe they had a bad hip that day and they took some time to anoint them with oil and pray for them, right? Or maybe they just had somebody, um, maybe their neighbor passed away, a loved one, and they took time just to hear them and listen to them, right? I think it involved more than that. But they anointed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they met the needs of these widows. Now, as the, the early church met this need in their community in Jerusalem, it caught the attention of who? It's the last part of the, what I read. Verse 7, the last part. The church increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You know, Luke, why does Luke even put that there? It caught his attention, right? And it was worth noting that these men came to a, an obedient faith through the ministry of what the church was doing for these widows. Now, researchers, scholars will tell us there was probably about 8,000 priests that were serving in the temple in Palestine during that time. All right? So probably most of them, this is close enough to when Jesus ministered, that most of them had heard of Jesus. They'd maybe even seen his miracles. They'd heard his teaching. They had heard about him at least, and they probably knew about his crucifixion, right? And so they were aware of that, but they had not become obedient to the faith through the ministry of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? But what was the pivotal action that was instrumental in them coming to know Christ? It was this act of taking care of the widows, which they would, as, um, as a priest, that was part of what the, 
the temple did in Jerusalem. They would take care of these widows. So the church, early church, takes that on as well. They follow that model of taking care of these widows that come to know Christ and that are part of the church. And, and so the priests were familiar with that type of ministry, and they now they see the early church doing that as well and ministering to that. And they must have been doing it with enough excellence that it caught their attention. It says that many placed their faith in God and followed his word. You know, and the priests were people of influence, weren't they? They had their other peers. Um, they ministered to people in the community. They were held in high regard. And so when you reached a priest, you were also reaching potentially the people that followed them or were under their leadership. And what I, I see here, and I don't know if I've ever seen this before, is that I think most of the priests had probably heard of Jesus and his ministry, but they hadn't come to a place of believing in God up to that point. But it was seeing faith and action that was convincing to them. And they said, you know what? The gospel must be true. What those people say about Jesus must be true. I want to also put my faith in God because I see faith in action. You know, we can talk about our relationship with Christ and we can, you know, we can talk all about you know, a lot about it, right? But there's something about seeing faith in action where we minister to people around us and they see that we care um, that speaks pretty loudly to some people. And I believe there's some people in communities that that is the way that they are going to come to know Christ. They're probably not going to come to know Christ by a TikTok video on YouTube. Or, well, TikTok video, right, on Internet. It might be on YouTube or Facebook, whatever. They may not, not come to know Christ that way. They may not come through turning on the TV or even coming in a church building. But maybe they see faith in action and say, you know what? There's something to that church or to those people because I see their faith in action. They're ministering to people. There is a saying that people don't care how much you know until they see how much you, you care, Right? And Jesus definitely demonstrated this as he went town to town, healing the sick, having compassion on people, talking to people about the kingdom of heaven. And now it's demonstrated by the apostles as well. James 1.27 says, Religion that our God considers and accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I believe there's people and influences that influencers in our communities that may not be reached for through any other means but they will be reached by seeing a church by seeing believers involved in seeing that faith in action amen it may be you know we don't have a system to take care of widows we do provide meals to people right when they sometimes have a hospital uh, or something happens uh, we we step in and we provide some meals we do that i think fairly well and that's a blessing to people, right? Uh, we do other things, uh, reaching out into our community. And, and so I think those things can be a means of doing that. Mother Teresa went to Calcutta, India to take care of the poorest of the poor. Poorest of the poor. And I need the musicians. Is somebody going to go get Amy? Somebody been given? All right, Jason. All right, you're on it. Um, she went to, take to Calcutta, India to take care of the poorest of the poor. I've never been to India. I've seen pictures, all right? But as she 
as she did that, her ministry began to grow and she took care of people that had, you know, were being overlooked by society and by the world. And she loved on them. And uh, you know what? By her taking care of the poorest of the poor, people maybe we wouldn't want to get close to or they stunk or they're just their poverty was more than we could handle. By doing that, she's been able to influence, you know, she's with the Lord, I believe, right now, but she was able to influence presidents and world leaders. She's had their attention, and she influenced them. Why? Not because of her preaching and her teaching, but because of her faith and action, right? Our words often speak louder than words. Francis of Assisi said, Tell others about Jesus, and if necessary, use words. He was all about taking care of uh, people ministering. He came out of a well-to-do family. And pretty much he could have had it easy growing up. But God began working in his life. He definitely wasn't a perfect guy. He liked to party when he was a teenager and he got into trouble. And he even was part of this band, you know, they kind of had like kind of a rebel rouser title. But God got a hold of his heart and began to change and transform him. And uh, he, he set that all aside so that he could take care of people that were in need and whether it was widows or orphans or people just in need, um, started a whole group of disciples, monastery, uh, yeah, to take care of people. Problems. They have the potential to derail the growth or our progress or what we want to do. But they're also an opportunity for us to grow in wisdom and to, to grow in other ways, to be innovative. This solution brought Greek-speaking uh, help to the Jewish population. The solution that the apostles came up, came up with empowered others to use their gifts and talents. You know, I, I enjoy watching a good game, right? So I was at Pinnacle Bank last week. On Saturday, we watched Nebraska beat Wisconsin. That was a good win. Good win for them. They got in Maryland today. That was a good win. Um, it's okay to be in the audience, but and we got some athletes here. It's funner to be on the court, not just on the bench, right? <laughs> I did my bench time. I can guarantee that. It's fun to be out on the field contributing. And I think that's the picture of the church, that God doesn't want us just to be on the bench. He wants us to be out there using our gifts and talents, right? To be out on the field playing. That's where it's exciting, right? The solution also had the unexpected result of communicating faith into action. And so the goal was to minister to the widows, but in the process... Many of these priests come to know Christ because of their actions. You know, what does that mean for you and I? What does it mean for our Radiant Springs Church? Um, the problems we face can work towards our benefit. And um, just because they're there doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It means, hey, we have to figure out a solution. And sometimes working through those solutions then provide, pave the way forward for something better. It means that you have gifts and talents under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that can propel the church forward. Um, 
Do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to greet? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Don't have to. To make coffee? I think it's good. You know, just think, you know what? I got somebody there that loves Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, making my coffee. I think it's going to be better coffee. I think that. You can do some taste tests. You know, I think our church is one of the best kept secrets in our area. I believe in what we are doing. Um, you know, we do advertise on social media and things like that. But I think we're, we're going to have the best results. We, it's not an either or, it's a both and. But it's when we, the church, tell others. But even when the, our communities, and I say communities because we got Seward here, we got, we got Sprague here, we got Wilbur here, um, Western, Lincoln. When our communities see our faith in action, I think it's going to speak to other people. Amen? Praise God. Would you stand with me in prayer this morning? One of our greatest goals is to, to lead and love, connect people to a life-changing relationship with Christ. I never want that to get dull, whether people are watching online or, or here today. Um, maybe it's a day that you just say, I need to recommit my life to Christ. What's happening at Osbury uh, University, if you've seen that on Facebook, spreading to other universities, um, it seems like it's a revival of repentance and people just saying, hey God, come and work in my life. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. So, and maybe that's what you need in your life this morning. So let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we come before you. You said that if uh, you were at the door knocking and if anybody opens up that door, you would come in and have fellowship with them. And Lord God, if you're knocking on our door this morning, whether it's to know you as our Lord and our Savior, whether it's just to Maybe come before you and say, Lord God, there's stuff in my life, there's garbage in my life that just needs to be cleaned out. and I just need a refreshing in my life, Lord God. God, you, you're able to forgive as we confess those things to you, Lord God. And you bring those times of refreshing into our life. So Lord God, I pray that you would come and, and, and speak to us this morning. And Lord God, as we looked at um, this passage in Acts, Lord God, I, I still believe that that speaks to us as the church, that God, you can go before us and, and you can help us in the challenges that we have and to equip people within the church to do what you've called us to do and to be the church, Lord God. Um, and Lord God, fill us with your spirit. Lord God, without your Holy Spirit in us, Lord God, we are, we are dry, we are empty, Lord God. We're, we're working in our own power, Lord, and it's, it's frustrating, it's difficult. But Lord God, when we're filled with your spirit, we ride on eagle's wings, Lord God. We'll run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint. And so, Lord God, we just invite your Holy Spirit to be here and present. Come and work in our lives as we give ourselves to you, Lord God, completely to you. We give you the praise and the glory. Amen. Lord, this morning we just thank you for the opportunity to be part of the family of God. And Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit can be upon your people, Lord. Um, that as we go and leave this place, Lord God, that your presence goes with us. Uh, that we truly are salt and light to the world around us. Lord, we don't know the opportunities that await us, Lord. 
whether it's family, a neighbor, a classmate, a co-worker. Uh, the opportunities are, are numerous, Lord, that you can work through your people, Lord. And that even then, and sometimes just by doing the, the right thing, the Christian thing of showing compassion and love, being involved in our community and how that can be a witness to the world around us without us even saying a word, Lord. Lord God, that your presence and your glory can be upon our lives in such a way that people can just look at our life and how we live it and say, I want to be like them. Lord God, I want, to, I want the same God that they have. I want to, to have that same spirit in my life. And so, Lord God, I perfect within us, Lord God, your work. Allow us to become who you've called us to be, to become like you, Lord. Give us that same attitude and uh, same approach of looking at life to enter each day, Lord God, with, with the perspective of, God, what do you want to accomplish through my life today, Lord? And so, Lord God, we give you the thanks, the praise. Let us go in your power and anointing of your spirit. We give you the thanks. We ask in your name. Amen. Hey, God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave. Um, minister each other. God bless you this morning.